So the bottom line is we want to make accessible for users to participate in farming on LP strategies, which is where the best yields are. And it's, and I think it's long-term, that's where the yields will be more sustainable because you generate any revenue, you generate your returns from feed, from trading big revenue for the most part, rather than emitting rewards and, and dumping them. So the longevity of those strategies, so you know, the expectation is users can deposit and sit it there for long periods of time and not need to like rebalance their strategies daily or like monitor them. So it's auto compounding, yielding, but behind the scenes where deploying assets to an LP farm and then hedging that LP position. And then we do frequent rebalances to ensure that the position stays hedged, essentially. to Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel. I am excited today to have Sam from RoboLabs, and they are the maker of a Delta neutral investing product called RoboVaults, uh, robo-vault.com. And I'm excited to have him on because I uh, think a lot of folks today are looking for strategies that feel a little bit safer while still providing some good returns. So Sam, first, if you could introduce yourself, tell us about your background and how you got into crypto and building, and then let's get into the, to the platform and the product. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So yeah, my, my name's Sam. I'm also good by Smoothbot on Discord and Twitter. My background's in software. So I'm the CTO at RoboLabs. I've been in software for eight to 10 years, roughly, but only in, in deep in crypto on DeFi for about 18 months. So, but always had a sort of a, an eye on crypto. I've been burnt multiple times, been rocked a couple of times, like to do exchanges, <laughs> a bit of fun, like Cripsy got me good. I was one of the, I was mining Dogecoin weeks after it launched back in 2023. What got you good? Cripsy. Cripsy was an exchange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got rocked hard. That sucked. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Were you, um, you get caught up in Cryptopia as well, since you're regional there? No, I didn't. I okay. dodged that one. I did. So, uh, no, <laughs> yeah. So my background's mostly in embedded system software, which is like low level C development, mostly in working on microcontrollers. Hardcore. In, yeah. In like the automotive and medis, medical spaces. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, pretty high critical software and that ported really well to Solidity Dev. That I'm um, sure. Yeah. That makes total sense, man. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Why we. And while we built RoboVault was my, my co-founder, our safety bot, he, and he was doing a Delta neutral strategy on DeFi manually, and he just kept getting wrecked because the uh, liquidated all the debt ratios of the strategy would shift too much. 
And so he was like, oh, I want to build this into a contract. So that was the motive to learn Solidity. And his background's in data science. So he whipped up all the models in, in nice. and Excel. I was like, oh, well, this is producing like 60% returns. And this was in, this would have been in February of 2021. And then, and at the time we were working on some like arbitrage bots together on between everybody starts with arbitrage that's right yeah yeah and he was like he he kept i was like no this uh, is where it's at and he kept pulling me back to try to ramp up the solidity and so i did and he did most of the code for the throughout v1 and i was there as like sort of a qa like cleaning things up anyway we launched in i think it was july 2021 and things were going really well just uh like our average apy during that time was like between 60 and a hundred percent. Wow. And yeah, it was pretty exciting. I was 400 entering DeFi at that sort of level. So I was at that stage, I was just sort of a, like a arms reach lurker in a sense. And then releasing a product, it just throws you in the deep end into the culture. And like, it's, it was a real like cultural shock being like, well, is it such a deep, rich community? Yeah. Yeah. I found that really eye-opening interesting. But yeah. So launched it did really well. We had a few hiccups along the way, but for the most part, past 12 months has just been us iterating on the design, really working out what, the, how to solve the technical problems with deploying these active strategies, not to get to the strategies in a second, but there, there was some real complexities, particularly like off-chain infrastructure. So we've been through that. We've worked out, we're pretty confident in the product and now we're sort of at a stage where we're keen to grow. We want to ramp up. Cool. Very cool. And it's currently deployed phantom and avalanche is that so we launched on phantom and we're on phantom for about nine months without delta neutral strategies but right now on phantom we're running like simple auto compounder strategies and we've shifted to, to avalanche to so right now we've got two delta neutral strategies running on avalanche let's talk about kind of the concept behind the product what the goal was and then what it is and what it does for users right like what if i'm an investor why do i want to use robo vaults yeah, cool. So I'll give them this sort of high level pitch. Um, cool. So like in, in DeFi, as you know, and many will, that there's a real challenge for the liquidity providers that this new primitive being liquidity, providing liquidity to liquidity pools exposes liquidity providers to losses through impermanent loss. So this is sort of like a new metric in like yield strategies, this impermanent loss, and it's proven to be a beast to wrangle. Like very notably, some institutions getting extremely wrecked because they aren't able to hedge IL properly. Right. Well, it's, we do. it's complex as hell, right? I mean, I mean, considering if I just look at one pair, considering the ramifications of IL for somebody simple minded like me, th- that's a nightmare to even think about like, oh, I need to adjust in this way or it's, it hurts. It really hurts. Yeah. And it's, there's a few like idiosyncrasies about it that, that people that, that really catch people out. Like with, actually, I won't dig into the, I'll dig into the details in a moment about cool. it. But yeah. So the bottom line is we want to make accessible for users to participate in farming on LP strategies, which is where the best yields are. And it's, and I think it's long-term that's where the yields will be more sustainable because you generate revenue, you generate returns from fee, from trading big revenue for the most part, rather than emitting rewards and, and dumping them. So the longevity of those strategies. So you know, the expectation is users can deposit instead there for long periods of time and not need to like rebalance their strategies daily or like monitor them. So it's auto compounding yielding, but behind the scenes we're deploying assets to an LP farm and then hedging 
that LP position. And then we do frequent rebalances to ensure that the position stays hedged, essentially. And when you say hedging in this context, what, what does that entail? What kind of strategies does that involve? Yep. So I'll dig into the weeds with our core strategy. So say you use a supposit USDC, that a portion of that USDC gets deployed to a lending market, say 65%. Right. And then a secondary token is borrowed against that. So say wrapped AVAX on Aave, and then that wrapped AVAX that's borrowed against is combined with the remaining initial capital and then put into a LP position and then farmed essentially. Okay. So that position is sort of because you're borrowing an asset and then deploying it in LP at a glance, it looks like it's hit. However, when you do it to the details, it's not the, that position actually experiences impermanent loss. Because the amount of debt that you're holding in RB is different to the amount of debt in your LB position when the market moves. Got it. Yeah, right. Because so, it shifts based. You started off with this chunk that you borrowed, and then you're ending up having that change based on the impermanent loss in the pair. Is that that's right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so we we modeled this, and we found that like there's this pretty pretty predictable curve was well, actually it's a very predictable curve of what that looks like and in, interestingly on that curve the top section of the curve where it's plus or minus two to three percent of market movement in debt ratio is pretty flat and then it ramps up so it's a non-linear curve it gets exponentially worse as you get out of that range so what our strategy does is ensure we operate within a fairly tight range so okay we have we have a bunch of keepers all running Concurrently, that monitor the blockchain, monitor our strategies. At any time, our debt ratio shift just slightly out of this, this balance we set triggers a rebalance transaction. And nice. that transaction rams that debt ratio back to zero or shifts it in by a percentage. And so at that point, the strategy is actually experiencing a small loss because you're, by doing that, you're realizing losses at that point and the sure. curve isn't perfectly flat. And that's because you're selling off pieces to get a balanced equation in the LP. And so you are going to take a hit on, on, on the fact that you've already lost because of the IL, but you're trying to minimize, you're trying to minimize the damage by detecting the fluctuation enough early enough to, to rebalance before it's extreme. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah that's exactly right. Cause that curve just starts, starts to fall off cliff past Got that it. point. So we corrected for that point. So it stays on this like almost linear, almost flat curve. Nice. And so in, on, on an hours to days time scale, that the loss that you experience from the curve is usually less than the fee revenue from market movements. So in turn, the strategy ends up being profitable. Very nice. That's awesome. Okay. And so in, in what you currently offer today, looking at the website, is you've got a de delta neutral USDC and a delta neutral WEATH strategy, right? Currently? Yep, that's right. And those are both on Avalanche? Yeah. Okay. So those vaults are deploying this particular strategy I just explained with the 100% allocation. So the other thing about our product is that we're, we're using, we're leveraging you know, B2 vaults, which are multi-strategy. Right. We can actually deploy multiple strategies currently and allocate different amounts to the strategies, to, sorry, to the vaults. So at the moment, it's got 100% allocation to this particular strategy, but the plan is, and we have multiple strategies in R&D at the moment, the plan is to sort of adjust those allocations to optimize return over time. And for the end user, that means that they can deposit and sit back 
and not worry about trying to chase yield too much. That's awesome. Now, are you, is the process of monitoring and automating this happening off chain? Are you using a platform like Gelato for automation on the back end? Or how does, how are you, you don't have to tell us every detail, but how are you making this work, right? I mean, you've got some fairly complex data that you're monitoring and massaging, but you want to automate it. You don't want to be sitting there trying to push the button because that's what we all screw up. So yeah, look, one of the, one of the cool things about this is that because even all of this is on chain, even the logic that the nice. attacks when the rebalance is needed and the actual rebalance, there's a function called rebalance debt that gets hit. And it's a permission function. So we have to permit it, but yeah, we use a combination of a bunch of different keepers. This was sort of, this has been a big part of our journey is been working out what keeper infrastructure works well. So for, at the start, we deployed our own keeper and it was very rudimentary and its logic was, had a lot of flaws. And so we iteratively improved it and got it more and more robust. And that was working pretty well, but it had a few hiccup moments in December. We, it, it failed for about 30 minutes and ended up having a, a like a 30 bit drawdown on a few of the vaults Ouch. and liquidations on another vault that, oh. that had, yeah, that had a, a 3% loss. Anyway, we ended up reimbursing everyone. That was back when Phantom incentives were around. So we were able to reimburse everyone. But the, the, we thought that took us back to the drawing button being like, what are we going to do? Like this keeper, we're going to have to invest so much, so much resourcing into building this out. So we looked at the market and there was, at the time there was open Zeppelin. They have like, they call it the defender and they had, and Gelato was available. So we quickly spun up keepers for both those. And we just, we set them at a race. So we put them all in nice. parallel. They all fought against each other. And the goal was to like, just evaluate what's the best, gives you redundancy and hopefully better performance. So we deployed those and that did help that gave us more redundancy and sort of a backup when our keeper failed. But for the most part, our keeper won the race. Wow. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, so I it, love that. I, I love <laughs> that you guys pitted them against each other to see what would happen. That's brilliant. That's so much fun. The, I think the Gelano too, actually, they appreciated it. Like it meant that we could give them like live feedback and they sort of tweak, they, they can tweak their model and their approach. And it's, it is a really difficult challenge trying to fit a, a, a one solution fits all approach for keepers because Gelato is serving us, which is like highly reliable. Our requirements need, it needs to be really highly reliable and fast, but we need to land transactions quick. But if you tune the knobs to serve just us, you're going to be overpaying price in quieter markets, but in high, in, in high demand markets, you'll be paying a lot of your, your gas prices, which doesn't suit retail. Right. So that, and, and so we understood that and we sort of got to a point where we realized that this approach of having three in parallel still wasn't going to work. We're going to need to invest a lot of time into our keep. But interestingly, riders were deploying on Avalanche, Chainlink actually deployed their keeper solution on Avalanche. And we've been monitoring Chainlink's, their price oracle, because we monitor the price oracles to check the, the lending markets are healthy that we deploy assets to. And we could see that their landing transactions, when we're desperately struggling to land transactions, so I was like, what's their secret source? I, I want to get involved in this. Um, so when I came out and I was like, awesome. Within two hours, I had a keeper spooled up ready to go <laughs> live. And it's been absolutely killing it. That's so we, Yeah, we rang with Avalanche's keeper, for, oh, sorry, with Chainlink's keeper for about four months. And I pulled the data the other day and it's now landing about 82% of transactions. And our keeper is landing about 17% and the other keepers are landing about 1%. Wow. So, yeah, so they've essentially like, this is what you'd expect from chain. They're the, the Oracle infrastructure of DeFi. If they screw up DeFi is over with. Yeah. Which yeah, is terrifying. 
<laughs> so they tune their knobs. They tune their knobs to be reliable, high performing, and and decentralized as well and secure. So they've yeah, it's sort of been game changing for us that we can we now in our roadmap we don't have this huge resource source like sink into keeper development that we can shift yeah. our attention to just building strats. Yeah, that's the I think that's the I think that's a really important lesson there is that this allows you to focus on building the strategies and testing and playing with those instead of worrying about all of the infrastructure that you have to worry about, right? Is it offloads that function so that you can focus on what your business is supposed to be about, which is, you know, optimizing and creating new strategies. So, yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. What's been the process like between the two of you kind of building this out? Is this something where your your job is just really let me implement and make this thing happen and he you're he's all data he's a data analyst right so or is this like have you guys built a kind of collaborative thing of oh we're going to try this we're going to try that how do you guys make it work yes it's been a bit of a journey and like we've been able to like find a way to work really well together so in, in the early days it was pretty much both of us just focused on dev ultimate dev and it was just back and forth like we should do this we should do that I was super risk adverse. It was a lot of me being like, no, I need to do this. I need to do these checks. And safety bots like, no, we just, we need to get this out. Like this, this is going to be work. We, the users know what to expect. So that was a massive learning curve for us to work through. But the, and that, that was at a time when we were in a bull market. So you didn't have to do marketing. Like the product spoke for itself. If you had a, a better yield, the users came. So we, our TVL peaked something like 60 mil during that time and everything was going smoothly. But as the, as the market declined, we sort of, we've essentially become more of a, a professional team. We've onboarded a bunch of devs. We now have a marketing manager and we run like a, we have a run, agile process. I have standups every day with the team. Wow. So it's become like a, a very a real business. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, with your background, I can see you've probably been just dying to have some process and set up yeah. because you <laughs> came from a world of completely controlled development, like, you know, healthcare, that's just an embedded systems. That's all going to be like meticulously controlled because it's so mission critical, but it's funny because that co-founder pairing between the two of you is actually, I think the ideal co-founder pairing, like yeah. the, Hey, get to market. We got to go tomorrow. We got to get it out versus the, oh, wait a minute. I don't want this whole thing to crash around me. I'm the guy that's driving to market. And I have a guy that I've partnered with over the years on the tech side. And you know, he's the guy that says, you got to chill out because you're going to kill us, you know? And so that, and you get a nice balance that way. So I think that's really cool that you guys have struck that's plus you have a technical co-founder instead of just a marketing guy co-founder, which is. I think beneficial. I think that helps a lot. The, you can speak the same language and that you, that when you're arguing, you can't just, you can't just defend your point with too many big words that they don't understand. Like you can't, yeah. there's no beating yeah. around the bush. You have to have yeah. a strong argument and you have to be able to back it. We both came up with ways to like try and nail down our argument. And a lot of those times we dig into the details and then see their side, but because we're trying to support our own argument, which is really interesting. Like that, that's and, cool. And like sharing, sharing blogs or quotes, or like there's a book I've leaned on a lot, the hard things about hard things, but one of the founders of A16Z, there's some really good pearls in there, but we sort of use that like, yes, yeah, I'll, I'm digging into the weeds, but it was a real learning curve for us. Yeah. It's funny because I was always the product guy and a reluctantly the marketing guy, but I was, I've never been a, I mean, 
I can write some code, but I'm definitely not a developer. But my partners over the years in tech, when we've done tech products together, have been frustrated because I wasn't the standard marketing guy. I was a guy that would dive into the APIs and the tech and understand it. And that was kind of my driving capability as a product guy was I could see what was possible in tech that the guys who were immersed in it all the time didn't necessarily see. And so it, it would drive them crazy because I would suggest something that we should be doing to solve a problem. And they would look at the product slash marketing guy that doesn't write any code and say, you're an idiot, go away. Right. And then I would keep harping on it. Anyway, we ended up in this great relationship where I was actually shocked by his business skills. And he was actually shocked that I could handle the technical side of it. And we ended up in a relationship where we're able to create things together that we probably shouldn't have been able to, but we were able to make it work. So that's when you talked about kind of those opposite extremes, it made me really think of that yeah, it's like a relationship. I, yeah. So like, you can see it every day, particularly a bigger company is that the, the technical leads, they have like this big, this like safety net in technical complexity. Right. So when marketing go to market comes to them, they're like, I've got these things that I can say, and I've sort of, there's a few details there that I'm just not going to mention because I don't want to go that direction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's going to make my life hell. But if you've got someone <laughs> that can see those points and just bury it to them, you're like, all right, damn it. Like, there's no way around this. We're going to have to. Yeah. You got to just <laughs> let it go. It's got, it, yeah. I know you can do this. So, you know, <laughs> that's funny. So I want to, where, one of the things that I see here, and this is probably a tangent we don't need to go too far into, but this to me is something that from a targeting perspective, as far as your go-to-market, like I, I understand that during the bull market, people just came because your returns were awesome. But even now, like, you know, 8.86% on a Delta neutral USDC and 12.88% on Delta neutral ETH. You know, that's the kind of stuff that sounds really good to folks right now. And you're sitting at 4.9 million TVL right now. And I really think that should be much larger. Like, how has it been for you guys as two technical guys trying to put this product to market and get attention for it? Like, I could definitely see like institutional clients saying, oh, well, I really should deposit you know, part of the treasury here while we're not investing in things, right? Or I could see targeting protocols for their treasuries to be in in this in your system. And I'm not trying to be critical. I don't want it to sound like that. I'm just trying to say, what has it been like for you guys figuring out that go to market and get attention for this, you know, over time? And have you just yeah. been conservative because you've been wanting to really make sure it works right? Yeah, so a big part is of that. Of it is being conservative. So probably the first four or five months of this year, we were still in conservative mode. The market was crashing. The, it was super volatile. There was lots of spikes in liquidity shortages on AMMs. So the market was super volatile at the time. So we sort of, we pulled back a bit. We reduced the collateral ratios, which sort of de-risks the strategy in sort of a proportional sense. And sort of just sat back and just took it all in, trying to work out how we're going to tackle this. And as the markets, it looked like the start of a bit of a grab season, we were like, all right, let's see how we can tackle this. Matt ramped us, sorry, Sophie got ramped up, started reading books about marketing. And, nice. and uh, one of the things from hard things about hard things is that as if you're building a company and you need to hire a, a good, a good candidate for a role, one, one approach is to do that role yourself, to really understand what's needed to actually to deliver awesome. that. So Matt just, he switched off the tools, dug into marketing. He tried to work out exactly what's needed and he learned a lot in the process and really mapped out our user journey is trying to work out who we're targeting, what the pain points are. So 
big part of what we've been doing is tackling those pain points, like nice. cleaning up our UI. You'll see we've, we've recently added a, an about us page just to, so people can see who the team is. Yeah. We've added a, a few more analytics so you can see charting, you can see the historic charts in the UI, a few things like that. And then we've still got a long way to go. We're going to like continuously improve on that. But really where we landed on the marketing is that we want to kick off, like we're still going to continue focusing on retail and, and because it's a, it's a, a good market to end up because you can get feedback live and you get lots of good feedback. Um, so while we're, and while we're focusing on that, we're also sort of trying to understand the bigger players. So treasuries, the post DAOs and institutional players, hedge funds, that those sorts of players. So we're in sort of an exploratory mode now where we're trying to discover their needs, trying to work out exactly what they need from what sort of product design that they're looking for to just the mechanics of how they're willing to accept funds, the contracts and regulatory needs that they have. So I, and I think you bang on there. I think there's a huge demand from institution, but it's such a black box and security is, is really tough that we can't expect them to come to us and look at our docs and understand it. I think we really need to go to them, explain to them what value proposition and really dig into the security to see if our security model and our processes match up against what they're looking for. Yeah. And at that, and so we're sort of prepping the materials for that at, that, cool. at this stage. Yeah. Well, and I guess, I guess your partner figured out that being the marketing guy sucks and you guys hired somebody to do it. We did to help you yeah. do it. That's smart. Move. Got, come with me. We got an ex, ex pro Dota player. Yeah. That's now our marketing manager. He's an nice. legend. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, marketing is the most miserable job in the world to me. I mean, there are plenty of more miserable jobs. I don't mean to, but having got, had to do it because I was always pulled in to do it when all I really wanted to do was be the products guy. Um, it's horrible there. I mean, there's a reason the average CMO only lasts 18 months in, in the corporate world, right? It's because okay. you, it's never good enough. It's never, you know, you're up 150% yesterday. I don't care what it, what's going on today to go over that, you know? And plus it's like, if you have any level of attention deficit disorder, being the marketing guy is a total nightmare because there is a silver bullet every 10 minutes coming across your screen of some kind or another. And for me, that's just a dangerous combo. Like I want to try everything. And so I resisted as much as possible. So I'm glad you guys hired somebody and it's a miserable job to do. Particularly hard, particularly hard when you're balancing other things. Yeah. Like you, you need that clarity to focus on focus. Like, yeah. Cause if you're building dev, you'll end up just burning dev time, pursuing ideas that don't make sense in the scheme of things, just because you think there's a good marketing angle to it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys found it? I often say that in DeFi, the best marketing is community and partnerships. And have you guys found it difficult to build community around a product like this? Because it's not something you're constantly going to be, you know, launching something sexy and new every other day, because that's not the nature of this product, right? It's something that you want to learn from and, and make sure you can protect people's money as best as best as possible. Has that been something that's been difficult for you since you launched? On Phantom, it wasn't. It was, uh -huh. very, it was pretty, it was during the hype community just sort of flooded to us during that time. And it was a bit of, and I don't know if it's different communities or different, what do I say, different like markets. I personally, I think it was also the market. There was downtown market. The Discord servers just started getting a lot quieter across the board. So, and that's right when we launched on Avalanche. Okay. So in essence, it was, we sort of had to, and there's different market participants. FDM, that's, there's far more like community parts, agents, 
Yeah. On Avalanche, it is, I think it's just a different demographic. Sure. And so we have a tune our marketing to, to encourage the, those community members. But so, but to be honest, if you'd asked me a year ago, how to build a community, I would have had no idea or thought it was impossible, but it's surprisingly like doable. You can you show your product, you be honest, you jump on AMAs, you answer questions, people are interested in what you're building and we don't even have a token. So. Now that's sort of like a force of kicking off a community, which we didn't have. So we've done pretty well with, even without it. And, and that's like lots of team members that just love digging into strategies and the tech and the details. And they're like, yeah, that's our core community. That's awesome. That, that's a, I mean, what you just summarized is absolutely perfect. It's like you were able to build a community without a token because people were just really interested in what you were doing and the value it was providing to them. And then it's just a conversation, right? Then it's just engaging with people, getting to know them, and they're going to be more likely to say, hey, you're looking for someplace else to put your money. You should check out RoboVault because that's where I put my money, right? That's fantastic. That's great. Yeah, it's, it seems, it's interesting that word of mouth on an internet product seems to be such a strong marketing angle that it's just people talking to people in this different discords. Yeah. I, like I said, I think it's, I think between that and partnerships, integrations, look, you know, I think there's a place for some advertising, some promotion, et cetera. But I think that is the true nature of marketing in this space. At least not, you know, we've got, we're so early that, you know, when there's another, when there's a penetration level of 25% of the general population, then it'll be a different story of fighting for attention. But currently it's like, get these people on board. Um, yeah, I can. And I appreciate the fact that you guys are kind of focused on retail for now and, you know, building up to going after the institutional. And, and when I mean institutional, I don't mean, I, I don't think of like Goldman Sachs. I think of, you know, VCs and DeFi, right? And I think of, like we said, treasuries of the protocols, which, you know, they live a real nightmare of managing their money. And, and it's funny because you talk to founders with large treasuries and they are no longer actually working on their products. They're managing liquidity and treasuries, and it's not what they want to be doing every day. So if you guys come, I think if you guys come to them with a solution that at least allows them to put some of what they have in something a little more safe than them trying to manage it themselves, that's a, I think you have a great proposition. Yeah. Like, in, I, I guess we haven't spoken to all that many treasury, I just managers on product protocols on chain. But are they deploying, I don't know, I'm telling you, I'm asking the question. Back What's my, <laughs> are, they, are they doing like, like yeah, complex strategies, like complex where they're actually doing yield farming or is it single asset deployments? It, it's a real mix. So some DAOs, Alchemic, Olympus, you know, some of those that have pretty sizable treasuries, they've actually either created sub DAOs from the community that are set up to manage for them. They've hired. There are DAOs, that's all they do is treasury management for protocols that are managing, but the ones that have to actually do it themselves or are still managing part of their money, they're doing a mix of everything. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, the, those that are resource strapped are doing really simple, single sided yield stuff. But I do know that a lot of them are doing really complex stuff, but at the end of the day, it's, it takes away from advancing what they built. Right. And, yeah. and if they know they can set something and feel good about it and know that their treasury is gaining over the long term and compounding what they're earning, that to me, I think is a really strong sales proposition in that space. And I'm sorry, I'm not, I didn't mean to turn this into a, let me tell you how to strategize your business. No, that's good. 
but <laughs> I definitely think there's an opportunity for a project like this. I think it's analogous to the caper discussion we were having previously, that there's things that you can outsource that free up the team to build what they are set out to build. And I think treasury management, it's one of those things. There's no reason to have 300 treasury managers in the space that, that just have to treasure, manage their internal treasury. I think that's something that, that could be outsourced yeah. to products. Yeah. And who knows, maybe some of those brilliant guys that have strategy ideas in your community could form something around your product and be out there onboarding, onboarding. Yeah, right. for you. Doing yeah. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? That'd be cool. Um, Oh, I wanted to ask you guys during the, during cascading liquidation season, were you guys a little nervous? Were you freaking out a little bit or? Yeah, I was, I was freaking out. No, it wasn't, we were prepared. We'd seen a few flash crashes, so we knew what was going to happen. But in, in like January where things were like, were brewing a little bit and like the things started to ramp up and the fee season was peaking. That, that's the real challenge. It's landing transactions during peak, during peak fees. If you jump on my Twitter, most of what I tweet about is just fees. These yeah. transaction fees and gas spikes. That's um, hilarious. Yeah. And the comparisons on different chains. I love it. But yeah. So anytime I'd see a speak or a, a peak and those like feels periods of 158 way prolonged for like six hours on, on phantom, that was just like pulling my hair out, trying to land transactions. Oh. Uh, but to be honest, we bet really well. It was a really good test case for our strategies. We had them, we had quite a few deployed on phantom at the time and we're able to land transactions, able to maintain the hedge. Nice. Which, proved to be extremely difficult. There's, there was a few other players in the space doing similar strategies, these sort of active rebalancing strategies. And all of the ones I know about essentially had issues that cause significant drawdowns, whereas we maintained the hedge. So nice, really good. It was a really good test case for us and validation of what we're building that we're actually progressing and improving. Yeah, it feels insane at the time. And now it feels like, ah, oh, that was a great validation. That's yeah, great. yeah, that was easy. <laughs> That's great. I love that. I love that. So what's next for you guys? Is this something you're going to move on to other chains? Is this something you're deploying new strategies? Kind of what are you guys doing next with the protocol? So there's sort of a few angles to this. There's refining the current product offering we have and tailoring that. And then there's sort of wealth of R&D that we're looking at. So there's lots of different vault architectures and strategy architectures that we'd like to build. Really, it's working on refining exactly what we should be building, what we should be spending our time on. But on, on the strategy front, there's lots of really interesting strategies out there. Like, like what I was saying, that using the concentrated liquidity without full LP positions, essentially plug and play to swap out the LP for concentrated liquidity. And then also you can do a similar thing with the likes of Alpha or Tarot, where you have leveraged LP positions underlying the strategy that ramp up the returns. They essentially, it's like leveraging up our strategy. It means that the, there's more volatility, but long-term that's higher upside. Nice. So Very nice. Pretty, pretty excited about that. And then there's a, a bunch of other strategies like the, so for like shorting using PERT protocols. So either PERT protocol or GMX to in as a way to hedge, but they have additional challenges that there's slippage on entry and exit. Uh -huh. So to, to do that, we need to build new vault architectures to handle that so that users can essentially accept that they're going to pay slippage on entry and exit, things like that. Very nice. Very nice. And I mean, in terms of your current strategies that you have, are there limitations for you in terms of how much you can have running in these strategies? And is this something you then say, okay, we'll deploy cross chain because they'll work similarly in similar places based on Oracle pricing, et cetera. Yeah. So limitations for particular chains 
Uh, so there's a, like, there's a few layers of limitations. There's lim limitations that we can deploy on a chain and that is they need price oracle, they need highly liquid lending markets. We, we essentially, we're sticking to Aave at the moment and for new Aave and we're doubling with BenQ, still don't know how to pronounce it. And we're pretty risk adverse when it comes to third parties. That's sort of part of our sales pitch is that we use, we do deploy assets. We do have contract risk. We're only deploying to highly regarded third parties of it at UniB2 forks as in tr Trader Joe's right. and well-regarded lending markets. So are they? So that, I think that actually makes up for quite a healthy risk profile. If you compare that risk profile to say a, a, a bridge where you're playing single assets as well, I think we actually match up, well not match up, I think we're competitive there from that. Yes. Where else are they? All right. The question about different chains. Yep. Yeah. So if you tick those boxes of the protocols there, the, the, the chain's mature enough, then for growth on that chain, it's really about liquidity. So if there is... And L, like if there's enough LP or if there's enough liquidity in the, uh, in like the, the lending pools, we don't want to be, we don't want to be the only LP holder. So we don't want to be 100% of Treasure's LP because that means slippage on our rebalances will be too big. Sure. But we've seen on Phantom at times, we were about 50% of Spooky's LP or Spirit's LP. Wow. And the strategy performed well at those times. Nice. So we, we do have a ceiling, but it, it's a lot higher than we are now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And the interesting thing is when a lot of people come to our product, see the API and assume that if you double the TVL, you're going to half the returns because it's a common just mind map. Yeah. On yeah a that's what's your concept. Yeah. If I put yeah. more money in here, the more money it gets put in here, the less I make. Yeah. And fortunately, that's not the case with our strategy because we're deploying to a much bigger pool. So we play a far smaller role in that pool. And so the dilution rate is far smaller. So we found that with our current strategy, we've gone from zero TBL to, to almost 5 million and they wise essentially haven't changed. They That's much to, to produce. That's yeah. great. And then, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, that as markets recover later and things get better, then those APYs start to theoretically get back to where you were in DeFi summer, right? Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to happen. <laughs> and That's awesome. There's going to be a period where they pick up in, I swear, our APYs are actually a really good indicator for market help. Nice. But anytime our APYs start to That's cool. Like, Tart you guys to the... <laughs> Chuck it in on, on your metrics. <laughs> that's awesome. Right. It's a good indicator. I love um, that. So yeah, I love that. It's a, that's a, a big part of like, we, we believe in the thesis that DeFi is going to be a huge part of the future. And so a, a part of our roadmap is to essentially sit back keep building, keep producing really good products that have a mar market fit right now. But we're also anticipating we're going to have a huge rush of liquidity at some point. So we also want to prepare for that and ensure that we can handle that. Did you guys raise money to launch the project? Uh, in the early days, we had a, a friendly like, angel investor that helped us out. That was post-launch, not a large amount of money. And we're, and we're considering doing a seed round later at, at some point. Very cool. Now, I think that You'll probably sell that out pretty quickly if you do. And the cool thing is your community doesn't have to worry about being dumped on because it's, you don't have a token. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think that's the sentiment on tokens at the moment is they've been pretty down early for a while. So yeah, we wouldn't want to launch a token on, we knew how to solve that problem. And the retail users and those that have been part of our community for this whole time, confident they're not just going to get dropped on. Yeah. Is there anything else we should know about the project, about you guys, about anything else that we haven't covered today? I think we've done a, we've done a good, good job. Just like, come check us out. Nice. See us up on Discord. We're pretty active and yeah, we're excited about the future of DeFi. 
Cool. All right. So one more question, because I asked this of everybody the first time on the show, and it's going to be interesting because you've been at this for 18 months in this space. So I always find the new guys have some time. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to predict it. So what I ask everybody is this, is there a person or a project in crypto and DeFi for which you have during your time in it really built up a you know, a very high regard for it, whether it's technical capabilities missionary approach to things, ethical approach to things. The project is, you know, awesome. Any of those reasons, anything that makes you inspired by or admire a project or person in the space. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because there are so many, like really capable, there's a lot of actors, but there's some really quality players. And there's a few things that I buy. One is just being able to produce a product and ship it and get it out has been, I find that like be doing that myself i know how hard it is so one one player that i think has done a really good job of this and is really good at, at delivering is is dr liquid liquid driver really good too um, yeah. otherwise from uh, at a high level like how a team operates and how they deliver i've got a lot of i've got a lot of love for you and what they do yeah. they helped us out back in october last year they found a vulnerability in our strategies hit us up we pulled the fine we pulled the strategies down asap and just how they handled themselves in that situation was just yeah, it was so above board and i've heard that over and over again about those guys like over yeah, and over, over again yeah yeah i don't have awesome. they made a really high quality decentralized team it's super impressive and i've got i feel sorry i've got too many i've got one more and Go i ahead. heard about this last week and it's a defied llama that team uh, is second to none like the i've made probably about 15 like personal feature requests all of them have been implemented. They're like That's little tweaks, awesome. added queries to filter in the URL and they've absolutely nailed them. And like adding or updating your own presence on DeFi Llama is easy. But I don't think it, it's ever taken, once I've created the PR, it's never taken more than 30 minutes for it to get to go live. Nice. Whereas I've worked with other plays and it's just like terrible back and forth. So for emails and it's just like, you're, you're like a fighting for them to list you. And it's, yeah, it's amazing how many companies or teams don't understand how, when your product is a data product that maybe focusing on onboarding the data would be a great idea. You know, that's right. Yeah. It's always incredible it's to me. You know, you reach out to these other analytics and dashboard products and you're just trying to get your data to them and yeah, yeah. they make it next to impossible it's incredible <laughs> to me that's a great yeah one. i love that yeah they're super quality team and they're all they're a lot of fun too yeah it's very cool well sam thank you so much for coming on i'm actually i'm really going to take a much deeper dive into what you guys are creating i think i frankly think you're beautifully positioned right now like i i think you know you're ramping up you're growing your team you have a solid product that that the market wants right now so and I think a bear market's the best thing that could happen to you, frankly. So, you know, I, I know that sounds a little strange, but I actually think products like yours founded the way it is and built the way it is with the track record you have actually puts you guys set up really nicely right now. Thanks for that, Brad. Yeah, I think we're wearing the storm quite well, fortunately. Very nice. I mean, I know it doesn't feel good to be in a bear market. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, I think a product that offering like you have is, is perfect right now. So, well, thanks a lot, Sam. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Brad. Thanks a lot for having me on. Sure. Great. Appreciate it. Appreciate yes, it. Man.